Okay, we're down to our largest entry, the Shock and Moi Award for Hottest Take. Nice. You can't see me there, I did a Michael Jackson like like gloved hand thing. Um, pretty self explanatory. Hottest Take of 2020. Let's go. Okay. Uh, someone called KM Twy. Okay. January 31st. Now, I wasn't even sure this was. I definitely didn't remember this being 2020, but apparently it was. Um, sometimes forget to be grateful to be a US citizen, but got talking to A.A. Fenton about how our parents immigrated to America, and it reminded me to hold on to the inspiration and courage our parents had. And then it goes into stories about uh, second and third generation removed uh, immigration to America. My great-grandfather had the monopoly of eggs in all of China, and my grandmother was super rich, living in a mansion, when the Cultural Revolution happened and communism took everything away. <laughs> I did not believe that the egg monopoly person was this year, but apparently it was. <laughs> oh, um, were they play, was it, you play that egg clicker game, don't you? Uh, oh, yeah, I've got it on my phone. I haven't played it for a while. Egg Inc., yeah, that's, yeah. That's so many eggs. Literally, it's all I think about. Like, they had the egg monopoly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure if they're correct or if they've just been told. Yeah, that. But it's very odd. You'd have you'd be insa- you'd have to be insanely powerful to control all the eggs in China. Also, before the Cultural Revolution, I mean, yeah, you had the Kuomintang who were in the control of most of the country, but that was just after the warlord period and the invasion of the Japanese. China was not exactly the unified country. Well, no, there was uh, one, unified, the, one unified, one unified strand through all of it, and that was this one person who owned all the eggs. <laughs> you might say he always wet his beak. I don't like that. Oh, I like it very much so. Okay, let's, let's go on, because we're going to be here forever. Okay. Um, Z- Zara Storm. Okay. Not sure whether this is bait or a hot take, but I, I'm reasonably sure it's a hot yeah. take. A lot, lot of bait this year, a lot of bait threads. and I, I think I've ironed them all out, but mm-hmm. maybe not. When you think of it, units of measurements are pernicious and harmful bullshit, which never should have been invented, and any proper communist movement should seek to abolish them. Yep. Eyeball everything, <laughs> yep. motherfucker. I suppose the existence of metric martyrs presupposes the existence of metric nihilists. Um, okay, fine. That's like, I'm, in, I'm a big fan of the notion of, um, like, in our communist manifesto, when we come when we come to power, it's like we destroy every single set of scales, every single ruler. We eyeball everything from now on, comrades. <laughs> the real Mark Latham, a guy eats a bat in Wuhan, and now my two sons are without jobs. The lesson is. When humans lose their mastery and control over the animal world, which is what happened in Wuhan wet market, our entire civilization can suffer. Humans must always put themselves first, animals second. What? Hang on. No, lost control whiplash. over the animals. Were the animals in charge of the wet markets? Were these organized? <laughs> Was it not? Did they not get it from eating a bat, but they got it from eating at a bat's restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> Have I misunderstood all of this? I've misunderstood everything about wet markets. They're called wet markets because they're run by amphibians. You might say that humans mastering control over the animal world is why this happened. Exactly. But obviously (laughs) I'm mistaken. (laughs) Uh, Next we have Fangam Debonair in a take I like to call The Rent is Just Too Damn Good. Uh, So Debonair uh, told a young Fabian's online event Mm-hmm. Uh, in response to um, the policy, uh, cancel the rent policy. Okay. She said, the cancel the rent policy is surprisingly unlabor. 
it's a really regressive policy because, mm-hmm. for instance, there are people who are still in work, still able to pay their rent. And if you just cancelled rent, they would also benefit and they don't need to. Whether we like it or not, whether we think it's either moral or not, there is a legal structure underneath this, which is a tenant has signed a contract with a landlord. Even if it's a rubbish contract with a rubbish landlord who is charging far too much, it's still legally binding. And just cancelling it has consequences. In fact, there isn't such a thing as cancelling it. Right, like, let's stop there. Regressive has an economic uh, meaning, and that's not what you mean. Hmm. Um, You can't think that something is moral or not. It is a moral question. It's not just a question of technocracy and legal structure. Mm -hmm. Secondly, there is such a thing as cancelling a rent. Even if you weren't talking about it, you can cancel your contract. Hmm. Anyway. But this... um... continued... Okay, carry on. Sorry, carry on. No, sorry. No, it just shows like the labor right their mindset of what the labor party is and it's like first off there's like means testing is an inherent part of it and upholding contract law and it just like imagine she very quickly some, sums up perfectly what somebody, is labor values for most of these Im- people imagine somebody who didn't need something getting something <laughs> i know that's no way to treat the poor people who need it but we won't give it to the poor people either no fuck off yeah Fuck right off. Um, yeah, I don't think I need to go on with that. Uh, next we have, oh boy. Oh, considering, that's Simon Heffer. Now, considering <laughs> his history over the last couple of years <laughs> with the anti-Semitism crisis and his comments on the fact that he believes that Corbyn wanted to reopen Auschwitz. He didn't believe, he knew. What, what, what kind of uh, book review do you think he should be doing? What oh. kind of, th- well, okay. What do you think he should be writing as a headline? I, I know he's not. I know he's not responsible for headline, but you know this is. Could Hitler ever be considered a great man? Hitler's greatest mistake: believing his own publicity. <laughs> really? He's like his own Instagram influencer who believed his own <laughs> hype. <laughs> oh, that Hitler hoisted by his own petard. <laughs> oh, oh, I want to die. Um. <laughs> Next, Neil uh, Nate Diamond. Okay. Um, the CCP runs a one-party state, and Chinese culture is fundamentally different because of it. Chernobyl-style leadership. Also, weird stuff like rich people eating bush meat for various quote powers. It's like, are you are you trying to say we don't? <laughs> I say, I think the leaders of the Chinese Communist Party sleep in an oxygen tent that gives them sexual powers. <laughs> No, but like, are you one of those rare people in the West who doesn't live in a society where every weekend there's an article on how some finance guy has discovered eating his own semen gives him the stamina <laughs> he needs to privatise water? Well, look, it's only in places like China where they eat weird things. You'd never hear about the French eating some weird small bird. <laughs> you know, I live on 400 calories a day and I only drink, you know, my own urine. <laughs> Yeah. That is a very, very common thing, you madness. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosa Doherty, uh, she was commenting on Bookshelf Gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, please, I dare the hard left who are losing their shit right now to tweet a pic of their Jewish Israel bookshelf section. Be brave. Go on. Double dare you, because I know you have one and the levels of madness that live there. Wow. What? Left-wing books, do you think... Like, yeah, there are some some somewhat sketchy books, but they're mostly not. <laughs> it's yeah. History, history of Israel books, you yeah, know? Yeah, but, like, 
I, I, I don't have an anti-Semitic bookshelf section. I don't have a bookshelf section. Yeah. I don't have it categorised into history and economics, like the two the two genders <laughs> of bookshelves. You've got, actually, no, you've also got all your <laughs> Star Trek DVDs. I do. Ah, oh, no, I've got rid of those. I don't have any DVDs. I've got a drawer of, like, DVDs left where they've got pretty covers or something, but, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Jeff, Jeff Stein mm-hmm. dropped this little nugget. I'm seeing more and more Bernie and Warren partisans level this oligarch epithet at Bloomberg. It is a term generally used to describe corrupt and murderous Russians who got rich from their connections to Yeltsin and Putin. Employing it against Bloomberg is doing Trump a big favour. Orientalising Bloomberg with the epithet oligarch is really what's going on here. Orientalising him. Oh, boy. I love it when they under- they've heard some words but don't understand the words. And just yeah. go, go all out. It's good. They've only heard it in, say, Russian oligarch, despite yeah. the fact that it's a Greek word. Yeah. <laughs> Moron. Um, next. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Richard Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Human meat could, of course, be cultured. Would you eat it? I wouldn't. But it's hard to say why it would be cultured from a single nameable person. Hugh Fernley Whittingstall served human placenta, also a clone of one person. In this case, the baby. I wouldn't eat that either. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. <laughs> good, good to know. It's good to know. I, I, it's good well, to know he won't eat a clone. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, well, moving on. This is an anonymous one. The Irish have rejected peace and democracy. This mm-hmm. is just like when Hamas won the election in 2006. Her Majesty's government needs to take action, like Israel did back then. <laughs> What? Which which what? election was this? Was this the one where Sinn Féin did well? Um, I think it's. Uh, I think it was in response to the Boris trying to withdraw from the, the withdrawal oh, agreement and oh, Ireland saying, that. "Do not do that. This is ridiculous." Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, next, we have. Uh, uh, I was going back and forth on whether to include this, uh, mm-hmm. so I included one because it was very uh, it was very funny, and I could make a very funny point from it. Anna Kachian of uh, the Red Scare podcast. Again, lost she does it on now. purpose. Like, like Tears in Rain. All of them oh, have lost yeah, their accounts. Actually, that is Tears in Rain. That was 2021, though, so it's like Tears in next year, mate. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> um, the woke left types are stupid and have poor political and social instincts. Mm-hmm. The alt-right types are smarter and understand <laughs> that energy is more important than ideology, yet they have no morality. What is needed is someone that leads with aesthetics but follows with ethics. If only there was some way of describing a politics led by aesthetics. If only there was some historical term that described a politics where aesthetics comes first and then the morality follows. Ah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up blank. blank. I'm coming up blank. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, she doesn't have an account so she can't elucidate matters. Mm-hmm. She's an easy one. She tweets things to get responses, and she knows what she's doing. But I I thought that was funny. Uh, Next, we have Darren Grimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was posting pictures of empty empty supermarket shelves during the the run on toilet roll at the beginning of March, saying, well, folks, at least the coronavirus panic has given us a look into life under Jeremy Corbyn's preferred Venezuelan alternative. you're posting that. a real photo yeah. and then saying, this is what life would have been like <laughs> had the other guy been 
it, this actually exists now. This is what <laughs> happened. You fucking idiot. Darren Grimes I, is particularly special one of that lot as well, isn't he? Oh, he's going to be tremendously successful. He's he's going to he really is going to be tremendously successful because he he has absolutely nothing to offer. <laughs> um, next we have oh, this is a good one. Uh, on approaching uh, the No Deal Brexit, which was a a possibility at the beginning of December, the Daily Mail decided to publish an article: Ten ways you can help make No Deal Brexit a success for Britain. Fantastic. Some examples: buying cars in the made in the UK will avoid any import taxes and help support a vital industry. Yep. Have a little lamb. Your Sunday roast is about to go a lot cheaper as a surplus of quality British meat will likely flood the market, presumably because it would be too expensive to export. But I'm too vegan. <laughs> well, also. Ah, yes, this is going to be so good for farmers. A yeah. surplus of meat that they can't sell anywhere else <laughs> that they flood the market with. A product that goes off. Excellent. Okay, okay. I don't drive and I can't eat meat, so what, what, what's... Come, give me some more. Give me some more. I want to see how I can help this country okay. that I despise. Well, you, you need to suck it off. I mean, sorry, suck it up. Mm-hmm. With no level playing field arrangement, Britain will be able to ditch EU rules, such as the one that limits the power of vacuum cleaners to 900 watts. Sweet. You'll be able to send a message about their regulations by buying a model up to the old 1600 watt limit. Where would I find this mythical super-powered vacuum cleaner? I vacuum. Who the hell knows the difference between a 900 and 1600 watt vacuum? Who fucking cares? We wouldn't because we haven't been able to use one of the super powerful ones because of of the EU. Our parents' generation, they were able... Well, you'd be probably older than them. But our parents' generation, they were able to hoover so much quicker than us. Well, I'm I'm suffering under all this dust and I didn't know why. I vacuum every day. Yeah. Um, Um, Okay, finally, Hugh, you, because of a no-deal Brexit, will be privileged to be able to buy a second home. That's right. Quote, that might be economically impossible for many, but it's a good time to invest in UK property <laughs> as record low interest rates are likely to continue because of the economic uncertainty caused by Brexit. Okay. The market is currently booming, but you have to be prepared to weather its ups and downs as house prices are expected to fall next year. Okay, so... <sighs> what if I can't afford to buy a second home? Okay, I know that because you because we've left, I can tear up some I can tear up some workers' regulations. So I can treat you like shit. But is that <laughs> yes. literally it? Is that what I have to do to 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 make Britain beautiful and to make all make it bloom? I need to bully you. Well, I'm yes. taking your pension. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next we have Andrew Sullivan. Oh, this this fucking dickhead. Uh, the core concept of whiteness as evil and sustained by a conspiracy of those in power is integral to both anti-Semitism and critical social justice. The language now used against whites is incredibly close to the language once used against Jews. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That is a, that's a top. That is a top because it's very simple, it's very victim-claiming. It's relevant because of the anti-Semitism stuff. Mm-hmm. It's... it's mm, Mm-mm-mm. Well done, well done. Yeah, cunt. Robert Sanders, red historian. This is a rare one because, like, I, I, I've never really had a problem with this this guy before, but it became really melty. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
whoever becomes Labour leader to this was back in April, whoever becomes Labour leader today, one positive outcome is assured. No one will regard them as the Messiah. They will be treated as a flawed individual who makes mistakes and can be criticised without disloyalty. That ends the single most destructive element of recent Labour politics. Messianic politics never produces good outcomes because there are no political messiahs. So every fault must be denied, every complaint dismissed as a smear. Every critic must be burned as a heretic and every failure blamed on unbelievers. It's morally and politically ruinous. From Thatcherism to Brexit to Corbynism, the politics of gods and monsters always ends in holy war. Margaret Thatcher once said, I came into politics because of the conflict between good and evil. She believed that as, strong as any, strongly as anyone on the left, and it did not serve her well. I'd like to point out here, Thatcherism, Brexit, Corbynism. Pretty significant difference in the outcome there. <laughs> Almost as if, actually, being a messiah, quite good. <laughs> Yeah, Margaret Thatcher, noted political failure because she had a messiah complex. Yep. You <laughs> idiots. You fucking moron. Ah. Next we have Fangirl Jean. Of course, so-called liberals and leftists. Uh, this is about uh, Joe Biden. Okay. Of course, so-called liberals and leftists oppose the only candidate coded as queer and femme. <laughs> what? Okay. What? Again, I looked to see whether that was bait. Mm. I can't. I could. I did not think it was bait. I'm happy to be proved wrong. Maybe it was, but. <laughs> but <laughs> Biden is coded as queer and femme. Why are you so homophobic, you? But how? How? Look, keeps himself in shape. <laughs> uh, um. Oh, that's just yeah. That's that's yeah, that's special. Francis Wheatman again. I had thought this was last year. Um, if 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 you, I'm going to read this out to you. If you remember, this is 2019. We'll disregard it. But Francis Wheatman, as someone who was raised to understand that Jesus was killed by the Romans and that Jesus himself was a Jew, I find Christian anti-Semitism so so alien. I basically didn't know it existed until about two years ago. What the fuck? No, you didn't. You're lying. Yeah. You are fucking lying because the only anti-Semitism you will come across will be far-right stuff and Christian stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, no. You don't get to understand anti-Semitism without understanding the Christian roots of anti-Semitism. Pa like passion plays and uh, demonizing Jews and, and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Us like, um... the, the usur usury stuff. That stems from the fact that Christians weren't allowed to lend money with interest. Uh... I... The yeah. Inquisition, you don't understand anything about the Inquisition unless you understand that it was set up to try and find like backsliding Jews who had converted to Catholicism under persecution. Yeah, like, they probably got those ideas from some Scousers. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> uh, next, or oh, short, sharp one, Matthew Goodwin. Lean left on economy, lean right on culture. Equals a winning formula. <laughs> Where's it? Well, who's leaned left on the economy? In forty or fifty years, I know. I just, I just, if, if, he just if says that, that were true, is he if someone... that were true, we would have had twelve years of Jim Callahan. <laughs> Jim Callahan was like one of those patriotic mm. anti-immigration guys, and he was reasonably left-wing on the economy, although well, comparatively left-wing on the economy compared to now. I guess at the time he wasn't, but yeah. But what is Matthew Goodwin? Because all I'm, he ate the book. He's a university professor in Kent. Teaching um, what? At uh, politics. Of course. Yeah, politics and international relations. And I want to say he works for a racist think tank. Can't remember which one. He's definitely taken up some kind of think tank position in addition to working at Spiked University. Yeah, um, Spike U. 
Spike you, yeah. <laughs> Next up, we have Andrew Lillico. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. He's had some. Right. He's had. He's like a. He's a proper. A, he's a hard worker with the, the hot take. Whether it, mm. like, didn't he have one about like killing his wife? He had one about back. how he gets. Last year, he was in the hottest take categories for something about him getting the shivers whenever he's with his daughter in the car or something. Mm. He's like six year old in the car. It fucking, I don't know. I don't know if he's a bait machine now or what. Yeah. This is hot. Mm -hmm. If an alien were intelligent enough to consent to breeding, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and either breeding worked or a technology allowed successful breeding between the aliens and humans. I'm inclined to think Christian marriage between the aliens and humans would be possible. What do my Christian followers think? I just like the, if there was like machine or like equipment to make, a, make the breeding happen, it's like, he's got in his basement his homemade alien his fuck prototype. machine. Yeah, he's got his prototype <laughs> and he is looking for customers. I saw homemade alien fuck machine uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the Astoria in 1998. It was fucking shit. <laughs> um, oh, he followed up with, and if you don't get why this is a question today, you haven't been following the relevant sort of Twitter, and I'm not going to help correct your knowledge. Gap. <laughs> That's right. Paying you on, you need to pay Andrew Lillico for his emotional labour. He doesn't owe you teaching about the alien fuck machine. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Fuck you, baby. I just, I just like the. I'm, I'm hoping that the new, the relevant news source. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm usually pretty up on like alien bollocks because you know, yeah, that's the kind of person I am. But I just like the idea that it was. At, it's not actually from any big news. It was just like from some subreddit. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're not paying attention to alien fuck machine subreddit. <laughs> uh, next we have. Oh boy. Mr. Badger, some anon. Okay. Uh, if trans women want to be women, mm. they should start at the beginning. No what? voting rights, no right to have their Ooh. own bank account, no right to higher education. And then uh, some get the L out account replied. Of course. This is a, this is a combo take. Ha uh, some, this get the, get the L out account. Have to have women's permission to speak or do anything. And then somebody called Wings Over Ecos, which I'm assuming is related to Wings Over Scotland, the yeah. transphobe Scottish nationalist account, said, and permission from us proper men. And if we disagree, then they have to go to their rooms without supper for causing discontent. For how long? What? For how long? Do they have to, like, are we talking, like, the start of, like, say, the what, if you could, like, put a date on the start of, um, misogynistic Western civilization. Do they have to mm. wait from that bit to nat to like to when they got the vote, like in that bit, or are we going all the way back to when there was the first, for the first human woman born, and up to uh, now? Do they have they got like basically have they got millions of years to wait also, before they're allowed is, to is, vote and go to the toilet? Is what I'm saying. Is 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 the implication that the, that trans people also have to. Um, use the same tactics as suffragettes, so start planting bombs in Parliament and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but not for a couple of million years, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, by then, the bombs are too powerful. You see the bind I'm in. <laughs> Jesus, these fucking people. These fucking people. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't include too much of that, because there's always that. There's yeah, always that stuff. But this was, this was ex especially special. Um, Next, we have Douglas Carswell. 
so this was in response to the Bishop of Manchester calling for Dominic Cummings to be sacked after his whole Barnard Castle okay. thing. Um, he just tweeted, disestablish the Anglican Church. <laughs> yes, yes. And then a f- Break and down then those doors. Take their gems. Take all their gemstones. But it's like, he was rude to my friend on Twitter. Let's disestablish the church. <laughs> awesome. That is not what makes this a hot take, right? Okay. The reply by someone called H.J. Yigo is what makes this a hot take. Okay. We should make the United Synagogue and the Chief Rabbi our established religion. Let's not forget Lord Jakubowicz. Jakubowicz, sorry, okay. I can't pronounce that correctly. Supported Mrs. T against that drip, Robert Runcie, who was the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury at that point. It's like you're still fi- like uh, okay, I can't even break it down. You're not only are you still fighting Thatcherism battles, mm-hmm. like as cultural battles yeah. for who supported who, but also you are suggesting that Judaism should be the established religion. Interesting take. But also choosing a particular right-wing rabbi to be... The yeah. Dude. Oh. It's, yeah. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Or it's a very old-fashioned way of looking at religion, Utilizing ut- Utilising Judaism to own the libs. <laughs> you know? I'm going to become Jewish to own the libs, which is, unfortunately, doesn't seem to be that far of a stretch for a lot of people recently. <laughs> okay. Hot landlord take. Mm-hmm. Travis J.I. Corcoran, who's some kind of alt-right sci-fi author. Okay. Uh, seeing lots of responses to uh, landlords saying, oh, poor landlords, tiny violin, etc. This is just dumb. It is evil. Landlords are either small or large slash corporate. Maybe a couple got married, consolidated down to one house, and rent the other out. Maybe a family decided to buy a small house as an investment. I know tons of people like this. I've known more than one case where tenants had more income and more savings than the landlord they rented from. Landlording is an ages-old working-class way to claw one's way up from the bottom. (laughs) Ages old. Talking about the rhetoric around landlords, he says, as with most human cruelties, the first step is to unperson the other. We don't think about Bob or Anne or Mr. Johnson, the landlord, real people who are going to lose tons of money, money that they have to scrounge back into their budgets with overtime or second jobs. No, it's never ha-ha, screw the widow Mrs. Smith. It's ha-ha, tiny violins for landlords. Can't very well beat up Jews or Poles or Kulaks or whatever when they have names. Gotta unperson them first. And... If it's a big corporation, is it okay then? Do who do you think owns big corporations? Normal people to a large degree <laughs> via retirement savings, investments and such. Maybe retirement retired Mrs. Smith doesn't own a second house. Maybe she owns shares in a fund that owns REITs. <laughs> so you can't ever criticize landlords. There's no, there's no possible working, you way. You can't criticize anyone because it seems they're all working class scratching their you way up through like owning an you, emerald mine. <laughs> It's an age-old working-class tradition, open a mind. Just say the thing that you like is everybody. Everybody is everything at all times, so you can't criticise anything. Nothing is possible to be changed, because everything is everything. Yeah. Everything is always and forever and natural. (laughs) And, like, it's incredible, the level of ideology here. Hmm. Next, we have J.L. Masterson. Oh, boy. Every time an unconventional woman, a loud woman a woman with short hair and tattooed hands, a woman with pink hair, a woman-loving woman, jumps ship and identifies as non-binary, the portrait of womanhood becomes a little less colourful. There's room for all of us. Stay. (laughs) Just lame. Just lame. Yeah. The portrait of womanhood, a composite, essential image of womanhood that gets diminished 
every time someone leaves a hive mind what the fuck are you talking about mm. fucking hell awful uh, Andre Roberts it's time to revive the Anglosphere a okay. Kanzuk union uniting Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the UK would immediately enter the global stage as a superpower <laughs> it's like it's like saying, uh, this is lame because it's like yeah sure, if everything was different and every and we were all really powerful, we would immediately be a superpower. It's like, well, just yeah, think about it. We'll anyway. be able to corner the market on beaver pelts and kangaroo meat. <laughs> but it's 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 a counterfactual that's like, if only we were really good, we'd be really good. <laughs> yeah. If like okay, if Russia suddenly gave um, the UK all of its nukes and territory, the UK would immediately be a superpower. <laughs> it's like yeah, of course it would. Yeah. And it also like it's always presented as a simple choice. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know. Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK, they just go together. It's just a matter of choice. And it's like, no, those ex-Dominions, Canada's next to the US, New Zealand and Australia have more geopolitically and economically in common with China than the rest of the UK. Hmm. It just sounds like a pathetic attempt to like, oh, we're an empire again. Yeah, there's always this constant thing that they'd be happy to be back to be doing what we'd want them to do. Also, I mean, there's also the unexamined question, frankly, that no one in Britain ever seems to ask, who the fuck wants to be a powerful country? Mm. Who the fuck wants to be a superpower? Mm. Look at what it does to America. Look at what it did to Britain for a start, the British Empire. <laughs> Look like post-imperial melancholy and all that. Look at what it's doing to the US. Look at what it does to the rest of the world. Mm. Like, who fucking wants a superpower? To be fair, we're not the best examples of that. We were like talking earlier about the perfect life and it was to be a roadie for a minor band. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, our highest ambition would be the roadie I'm for John Oppie. Person- <laughs> because there isn't much Again, work to do. <laughs> we should, if we ever rename a podcast, it should be "We're not the kind of people you should be asking about in Germany." <laughs> <laughs> not the kind of person you should ask to plan a hospital. Um, <laughs> next, we have another Darren Grimes. Okay, beautiful, beautiful, smooth-headed boy, Darren Grimes. Anti-Semitism is the most tolerated form of virulent racism in the United Kingdom. <laughs> As the last few years have shown, all too often it is given far too easy a pass. Yeah, y'all's words full of rules. <laughs> and someone, uh, someone piped up, anti-Semitism is vile, but vilification of us English has become so unchallenged, even the BBC include it in every news broadcast. Every single one. Every news broadcast, yes, every news broadcast. Every day on the BBC they vilify the English, yes, every day. Every single day, the BBC vilifies the English. Every day. Well, no, but they won't ban Sharia Eastlakes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nikki Dimsdale, in August, said, To be honest, even I have felt more Jewish in the past few years, and I'm not even Jewish. C of E, due to the politics of the Catholic Church being a bit dodgy. So you must be feeling it way more. What? What are you talking... Right. All of... All of you, all of you, the, the Gentiles, Gentile people, you know you can convert to Judaism. You won't <laughs> have a Jewish history or a Jewish family or anything like that. But you can convert to Ju- it's it's a religion, it's a, it's a practice, it's a body of thought. You can convert. You know, you don't you don't just have to do this shit. The thing that really ty- like I find very tiring is these people. I know exactly what they'd say to my Jewish wife. Yes. About yeah. about her being <laughs> Jewish and about how she'd probably. They they would probably have a go at her. I felt more... Jesus. Awful. Uh, <laughs> uh, Peter Tatchell. 
<laughs> pretty funny. John Boyega made justified anti-racism posts after the police killing of unarmed black man George Floyd. I share his anger, but his go suck a dick remark to critics is a jibe more often used by homophobes. It mars his valid critique of police racism. I don't know. It is kind of funny. Oh, Peter Tatchell was so... <laughs> fucking Tatchell. It's like, please don't say go suck a dick to the cops. Yeah, because that's... Uh, oh. Yeah, fine. Uh, so, oh boy. Sonny Handel. Mm-hmm. People call QAnon a far-right group, but this oh, is misleading. Wait for it. Other than their support for Trump as the saviour of children, the language, memes, hashtag they use are very left-wing. Hmm. He gives hmm. an example mm-hmm. of a Facebook post that is one of those real kind of new age stuff transformed into QAnon yeah, stuff. Yeah. Go deep within, stay in your truth, heart-centered and divine love. That's where magic happens. Love is the highest power. Hindu emoji, praying emoji, heart emoji. <laughs> but then they probably they probably do then go on to talk about having to get rid of all these communists. Well, yeah, okay. So rather than even do any kind of deep read or close read of a lot of QAnon stuff, he has rumbled us from the get-go without even doing any proper looking or things like looking or analysing what it is. Because, of course, other than political objectives, (laughs) political objectives, standards of behaviour, aesthetics, history... Actual objective thought. It's exactly the same as the left. But the important things, like, you know, who you vote for, what you actually want out of life. (laughs) No, it's the memes and the hashtags. They're the same. Somehow I earn a living doing this. I don't know how. (sighs) Mail on Sunday. Did Corbyn's Marxist henchman give Boris and Cummings the virus? With a load of Cluedo pieces and like oh, Cluedo God, cards that was and so stuff. Good. You remember that one? Yeah. Uh, you re- I read the piece. Uh, it, it turns out n- no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. They didn't. <laughs> it was all of the all of the typical like uh, Corbyn was at the centre of extraordinary claims. The Mail on Sunday has established all those kind of weasel words, and yeah. then it's just straight down in the middle of the article. It's like even Downing Street said no, no, <laughs> no. They didn't. Uh, uh, we have John Milbank, a hot take. Mm-hmm. The way so many adults now wear children's play clothes, T-shirts, shorts and trainers, etc. most of the time is a sign of deep decadence that isn't even satanic fun. <laughs> isn't even satanic fun. <laughs> John Milbank was one of the, I think he was one of the early like third way guys with Blair, but he's yeah. since become like a, a radical Christianity guy. Oh, so nice. he's like a proper, he's a proper traditionalist nice. Christian guy. So uh, yeah, not so wearing a shirt wear a tie. and tie. Yeah. Not wearing a shirt and tie is hoisting Jesus up on that cross one more time, you know? I, that is literally why I don't wear a shirt and tie. <laughs> I literally, I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, next we have Andrew Adonis. Just in case anyone doubts my view... Unlike Owen Jones, I do not admire Karl Marx. His doctrines of class war and dictatorship make him the enemy of social democracy and liberalism. He was also deeply anti-Semitic. Rawls, Keynes and Beveridge for me. Uh, So, right, we are talking about Andrew Adonis, Mm -hmm. the man who wrote the book on Ernest Bevin, who Mm -hmm. was commonly regarded as having anti-Semitic views. Um, Also... uh, I was obviously you see this and you're like, I bet I can find something anti-Semitic. And yes, like 
John Maynard Keynes yeah. um, had quite a significant history of anti-Semitic views. He would drive uh, in the manner of Victorian and Edwardian gentlemen. He had that manner of anti-Semitic way of expressing himself. Like, I'm not getting into it. I'm yeah. just saying, like, you're not you're not seriously saying that these people were opposed to Karl Marx being anti-Semitic. Just one little quote from Keynes, because, yep. like, I think this is the kind of person who is the, is, the, is Andrew Adonis's hero. So, and admittedly, this was when he was 17 okay. at Eton. He wrote an essay on the differences between East and West. Whether the two branches of the human race, European and Oriental, will continue to live side by side or whether the one will succeed in absorbing the other, we can best discuss this question by taking into consideration the characteristics of two Oriental races, the Chinese and the Jews. They have done their utmost to make themselves indistinguishable from Europeans, and they have signally failed. It is not that the Jews are traditionally the accursed race that makes anti-Semites. It is because they have in them deep-rooted instincts that are antagonistic and therefore repulsive to the European and their presence amongst us is a living example of the insurmountable difficulties that exist in merging race characteristics in the ways of making cat, cats love dogs. Now, he's 17. Yes. He, this was 18, 870, whatever. Yeah. Um, historians have argued that he had the same streak of anti-Semitic attitudes running through his social life that most members of the British upper middle classes had. Not an excuse, but putting it in its proper context. Mm -hmm. However, that doesn't excuse Andrew Adonis going on the warpath with a singular lack of care about yeah. choosing who to hold up as a historical figure who, it's not just that you admire, but who supports your politics. Mm -hmm. You can't grab people like yeah. that. You definitely can't grab people. Like, you can grab Keynes's, like, economic stuff, mm. but you can't grab their personal characteristics and says, this means I'm a good person. Yeah. You just can't. I'm not grabbing Marx and saying that because he was good, I was good, and defending whatever particular he did. Yeah. Although, like I say, I think <laughs> it's kind of ironic uh, calling um, Marx anti-Semitic, considering his background and considering everything that happened to practitioner of his politics during the 20th century. But, yeah. you know, like, you can't, you just can't do that. It's just that you just, it's like, you don't care. It's yeah. like you, you haven't even been asked. You just cared about getting that one little dig in. Next we have Polly Toynbee mm -hmm. in September. She wrote about Keir Starmer's labor party. Patriotism will be the weapon time and again to uphold British standards in animal welfare, food quality and environmental rules and against bad foreign trade deals. <laughs> Tories in the shires will agree with defending British local planning laws against unpatriotic vulture developers. <laughs> when a pitifully thin Brexit deal betrays the fisheries and farmers, Labour can brand that unpatriotic. <laughs> A damaging Brexit deal causing 20-mile tailbacks at the ports and needless customs form-filling will be unpatriotic when a good deal was available and promised. Starmer spoke on the BBC's Andrew Marshall on Sunday of how the pandemic had exposed the fragility of the public sector in the economy. That nation-damaging decade of austerity was indeed profoundly unpatriotic. Any Labour people who feel squeamish at patriotism should shake off that off right now and welcome capturing it for themselves. Ah, yes. Unlike every other time, this, this time, time it's going to work. <laughs> I love, I love that Tories in the shires will agree with defending British local planning laws against unpatriotic function <laughs> developers. <laughs> Tories in the shires are the unpatriotic function developers. You fucking rube! <laughs> oh, 
Oh, oh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> all right. Mm. Paid. She's been paid for this for God knows decades now. Yeah. She's been paid for this drivel. Next up, we have Dan Hodges. Mm-hmm. The liberal left don't care about the coming wave of job losses. All they care about is using COVID to unleash disaster socialism. Dan, who's in charge of the country, Dan? Who are the most powerful newspapers, Dan? Who owns all the land, Dan? Who has the most money? Who owns all the property? Who makes up most of the landlords, etc., etc., etc.? Dan, Dan, Dan. All the communists I know are just desperate for everyone to be unemployed. Hey. Uh, West Brit CEO. Oh boy, this is this is this is I think this is my favourite. Sorry to prejudice this in advance. This is my favourite, I think. Uh, in October, I'm jealous of how of Americans how their flag is so prevalent. It's almost like this neutral cultural icon. It doesn't necessarily suggest much about your politics, wearing it on clothes, etc. The UK flag somehow does this to a lesser extent. You can't wear an Irish or EU flag without it looking forced. Somebody adds in. Somebody adds in. The American and British flags are the oh are the only flags in the world that are relatively neutral cultural icons. Ooh. I can't think of any others. France, maybe. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, that, that, is... that nourishes me. <laughs> it's very good, isn't it? Oh. In fact, I only ever feel actually just just warm inside when I see someone coming at me wearing a suit made entirely of Union Jacks. Well, I mean, also, right, right, it, it, this has this has multiple things, because A, if you think something's neutral, if you think a, a, a something attached to a nation-state is neutral, it's because it's hegemonic, mm. you fucking moron. It's because it's so, it's because it's so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Why is it? Don't ask why you think it's neutral. Ask why their flag is so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Why it's everywhere. Why you know what it is, but you don't know the flag of Djibouti, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Like, and also, yeah, I think <laughs> a lot of people around the world, when they see that that stars and bar, that stars and stripes, yeah, definitely think, "Here's a flag I don't want to burn." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Mm. Cool. Cool. Right. That's that's awesome. Uh, we have Allison O four one O. Okay. Whew, this is spicy. I don't know. I don't know how good it is, but it's spicy. I'm white and I'm also Jewish. Where was my white privilege when six million of my people were murdered? I don't remember rioting about it either. <laughs> what? So obviously this is targeted at Black Lives Matter and saying, yeah. well, if you've got a grievance, you take it up. You you take it. What? Oh, that's, that's what? just a... Oof. Also, yeah, no, famously, Jewish people in the Holocaust never rose up. Warsaw Ghetto, what's that? But also that they would have been wrong to rise up. Because, you know, mm. like, we didn't, and that's better for... Yeah, they should, have gone through, they should have gone through the proper channels. <sighs> what are you talking about? It's... it's that's that's a that's a that's a good, brief, spicy mm. what one. I had no idea what the fuck they're talking about. <sighs> had underscore Dell opined Antifa isn't a group only an ideology that's rich guess what people subscribe to ideologies I know more about Antifa than a lot of Antifa themselves since I've actually read the abstruse far left philosophers from whom their ideology stems mm-hmm. pause who's it going to be James O'Brien 
Um, Galoos and Gatari. Nice. Because every... I, I, I will admit, I've been on Antifa marches and you can't move there for Thousand Plateaus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just... I it's, mean, they tried to... I tried to build a thousand plateaus out of like uh, like cardboard and you know uh, planks, but it didn't work. It only got me above the fascists. I... <laughs> Imagine that, yeah. Oh yeah, anti anti famous anti philosophers to lose Guitari. They've all read it. Yep. Um, next we have Duncan Hothersall. Okay. Uh, who appears to be some I don't know some guy. Um, it is all. It was always an option. For those who identify as nationalists, Scottish nationalists in this case, those who identify as nationalists, to consider that independence might not happen and to engage about how to make Scotland, as part of the United Kingdom, the best country it can be. What? No, it isn't. No. <laughs> if you're a nationalist, you want independence for your yeah. nation. You want your nation to be a nation. Mm. Like, that's not an like that's seriously not an option. If you do that, you're not a nationalist anymore. No, you could choose to do that if you want to. If you really want to, I, I'm not even that bothered about it. But like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next, we have Helen Thomas. In response to uh, UNICEF providing food packages for hungry kids in the UK during uh-huh. the winter. I forage apples at this time of year. I buy reduced food and cook from scratch. It's easy. We have a generation of whinging, selfish parents who expect everything to be given to them. We don't hear of parents going hungry, do we? <laughs> no. Yes. No, you never hear. Yes. You famously never hear of parents going without. <laughs> <laughs> I forage apples, so you steal apples. Yeah. Public, just go to, look, if you're hungry, just go to the public apple tree. <laughs> So UNICEF it's are having to send them. Simple. They're having to send food packages because she's stealing apples from children. <laughs> I, I love. I've, I, I mean, we've been through it, but the I love the I buy reduced food and cook from scratch. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, you do. I do as well. I love it. It makes cooking very cheap. Can't feed a nation on that. No. 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 Uh, another one from Dan Hannon. Fishing is currently a tiny fraction of our economy, but there is vast economic potential in using fish in cosmetic and health supplements. Bones, scales, guts, heads, enzymes, almost all can be monetized. Hull and Grimsby, Grimsby could be reborn as farmer hubs. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll wait for that to happen. Not that the people of Hull and Grimsby are not capable of opening uh, a high-tech science thing. It's just it needs government funding. And literally any time any of you ever talk about this fucking thing, this regeneration of giving people high school tech jobs, it never fucking happens. Mm. We've been talking about that for fucking... Since deindustrialization in, like, the middle of the 80s, that actually closing down all these mines was going to be good because now all the high, now all that's out the way, we can get all the high-tech stuff in there. And yeah. it's never happened because it takes more than just willpower. It actually takes a fucking plan. Well, you see... Fishing isn't as big a part of the economy at, at the moment as it could be. But soon, we could fashion all of our clothes from fish skins and bones. It's true. <laughs> I mean, this is also aside from the fact that, yeah, no, trawling the North Atlantic of fish when there's already been various cod crises and haddock crises over the last few years. Like, those, those restrictions are there because otherwise there's going to be no fish left. Mm. You're going to kill the ocean. Mm. I love that. Whenever they say, we can eat as much fish as we want. I don't eat fish. Uh, <laughs> yes. Not to um, be that vegan, but I don't eat it. <laughs> uh, Stop telling me to eat it. 
you'll eat it and you'll like it, otherwise you are part of Project Fear. <laughs> Luckily, um, those men came round with the fish baskets wearing that neutral Union Jack. <laughs> Joanne Reed in November, mm-hmm. tweeted, I say this as someone with no pity for Donald Trump. There is a pathos to this story. Here is a man propped up from day one by a cruel father, a man who couldn't succeed on his own, yet through sheer demographic luck was awarded enormous wealth and power only to squander both. Incredible, like... Also, like, he didn't squander it. Like, he Mm. was president. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems to me that he used his actually fairly comparatively limited wealth in mm-hmm. comparison to like the super billionaires yeah his actually comparative like comparative lack of wealth in that class and he used that power to completely bring down the american like uh, electoral system yeah and form a religious movement that was willing to <laughs> die via taser in their own balls <laughs> he had people praying for him on mm-hmm. the sidewalk mm-hmm. you don't need to fucking start the whole rehabilitation thing that you do for every monster of a president yep. you don't need to just don't do it say he's a cunt and move on <laughs> recognise your political enemies you moron because they're going to come for you anyway alright enough of that uh, next we have <laughs> speaking about recognising your political enemies Caitlin Moran Okay. Uh, in response to being asked why she writes for Murdoch mm-hmm. he lets me explain socialism and the welfare state to high court judges <laughs> Awesome. No, he doesn't. No, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't explain it. Also, no. high court judges know what the welfare state is. They know what socialism is. It. They took a look at it and they didn't like it. Yep. Uh... <laughs> Karen E. Lund. Uh, this was on one of those interminable threads about like controversial takes on books. They come up at like literally every month mm-hmm. at this point and almost pointless giving one of them, but I'll take one anyway. <laughs> Good content. Um, Unfortunately, a teacher ruined Great Gatsby for me by overanalyzing the symbolism of yellow and a few other things. I would have enjoyed it much more with a few movie scenes, the clothes, and some jazz music to recreate the 1920s. God. (laughs) I was very, very annoyed by not, when I was asked to read The Great Gatsby, not being showed the movie (laughs) and being asked to read the book. (laughs) Jesus. Next, we have uh, Joshua for Congress. I don't know if you remember this guy. He was um, he was like a kind of independent, self-described socialist who's like crowdfunded a Congress run. He was really young. Oh. No, I didn't. Um, and then he like said a few, like had a few, was cancelled for a few things or something and disappeared. Okay. I have no idea. Um, but he tweeted, you were radicalised by reading Karl Marx. I was radicalised by watching Avatar The Last Airbender and Wally as a kid. Yes. We are not the same. Yes. <laughs> no, we are not the same. <laughs> no, we very much are not the same. <laughs> um, we have, oh, another one from Majid Nawaz. Mm-hmm. By cultural Marxism, Nigel mm-hmm. Farage likely refers to the long march through our institutions of Frankfurt School critical theory and deconstructionism, intersectionality, relativism, and quest for power <laughs> through in <laughs> group identity politics. It's unlikely he meant Jews. To be fair, that's the far left's purview. So, okay, right. The long march through the institutions of Frankfurt School. Oh, yeah, everyone's fucking teaching Frankfurt School critical. 
Frankfurt School Critical Theory and Deconstructionism. Everyone, you can't move for deconstructionism no, in modern universities. I particularly like when he said that intersectionality, relativism, and quest for power through in-group identity <laughs> politics was a thing. <laughs> it's good to not know anything, isn't it? It is. It must be so nice being mentioned to us. It must be fucking easy, because I presume yeah. like he, he does things like owns a house. I presume he owns a car. I presume he makes a good living out of this shit. Mm. You know? For nothing. It's so easy. Ugh. Next we have Liam Parker. Oh, oh actually, this is one of my favourites. The constant use of Keith instead of Keir seems a bit like that underlying racism, where all the difficult or foreign-sounding names should be anglicised. <laughs> Literally, every time I see it, that's the first thing I think of. It's disappointing. <laughs> Keir is a hard to say name. That isn't why they're doing it. Keith is a slur. It is. Keith is a slur, Hugh. It is. It's a slur. <laughs> oh. Also, yeah, you are right. Keir is literally one of the easiest words in Anglo-Saxon to say. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it doesn't have that, obviously, like okay, Gaelic or something, I think. But yeah. <laughs> it's not difficult. Next, we have Bill Gates. Hmm. This is a hot take. I think this is a hot take. So I'm going to put Maybe microchips in all your varies. vaccines. And then he deleted it that is, tweet within five minutes. <laughs> it is more mundane, but more implicit. Okay. The horrifying killings of George Floyd, Armored Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and far too many other black people, and the protests they sparked, are shining a light on the brutal injustices that black people experience every day in policing, criminal justice, education, healthcare, housing, the workplace, and all other areas of their lives. I am committed to listening and learning more about the systemic racism, and what I can do with my actions and my words mm. to help create a more equal and just future, Black Lives Matter. Mm. What I can do with my Bill Gates actions and my <laughs> Bill Gates words, committed to listening with my Bill Gates ears and learning more with my Bill Gates brain, and committing precisely no money. <laughs> you could literally abolish racism in housing tomorrow, Bill Gates, but you choose not to. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> another one from a Paul Embury. Mm-hmm. Millwall fans didn't boo because they're racist. They've <laughs> taken many black players to their hearts over their years, their hearts and their shaven heads. Uh, they booed because what began as a single act of solidarity has, as usual, turned into a protracted moral lecture. They were not targeting their black players. They were booing the act of taking the knee. A different thing. <laughs> Paul. Paul, <laughs> everyone knows, all right? You know you know what... My dad is a Millwall fan, and he never went to games specifically because of this. We went to a game once at the old den, I think it was, before they moved to the new den. And my dad specifically shushed me when everyone started chanting. I was about, like, seven or something. Hmm. My dad specifically started shushing me whenever they uh, did, like, the chant. Because he didn't want to be associated with that aspect of watching football. Yeah. Like, everyone knows who Millwall are, Paul. <laughs> You're not fucking fooling anyone. Oh, yeah, the act of taking the knee. What's the act of taking the knee for? <laughs> what was it? It was to protest racism. Right, so they're booing the knee. That was a protest of racism. So they are booing it. Fucking moron. It's not a moron. He's doing it very specifically. but Yeah. Uh, right, next we have Peston. It is extraordinary that COVID-19 has turned Boris Johnson into more Castro than Castro. 
By the time the remade job support scheme, the self-employed grant and the business grants terminate at the end of March, we will have experienced a whole year of an economy more socialised, more socialist <laughs> than at any point in British history. Citation needed. Um, a Solomonic test of their judgment whether to continue subsidising jobs on an unprecedented scale or whether to risk a delayed and massive surge in unemployment. I look forward to hearing Johnson explain why it is healthy for the UK to be Cuba without the sunshine for a year. Wow, it's that, you know, socialism is when they spend money. Yeah, why am I seeing these emergent free markets in your Cuba (laughs) without the sunshine economy? (laughs) Oh, classic. Uh, Next we have Kevin Rhodes, um, an Idaho Republican candidate Mm -hmm. who tweeted in June, there is no black man alive that has dealt with a type of racial division that all whites have endured in the last 30 days alone. Okay. Wow. That's hot. <laughs> hot, 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 hot. Spicy. Um, next, we have Neil Oliver, who, for some reason, following the BBC model, the presenter of Coast decided to get all weird and right-wing mm-hmm. maybe he was always weird and right-wing but yeah uh he wrote an article in the times the times mm-hmm. to talk about masks okay. why i have no idea he said mask wearing is like communism in mm-hmm. that communism is a system that might work well with some life forms just not human beings communism has never worked and never will this is on account of human nature being as it is which is to say it varies from individual to indiv- individual You know that human nature. You know the famous philosophical nature. Human nature being as it is. (laughs) As it is. Human nature. Just, that's the way I describe all the people I meet. They're just as they are. Is he the host of Coast? Do you say? He was the presenter. Do you remember that Coast program? That was like, it was like half nature program, half, I want to say they had like cooking programs, but essentially it was a big, like all BBC documentaries, it was a big travel log that, that you got to go around, be kind of soft patriotic and mm. show your love of country by showing beautiful vistas of admittedly very beautiful countryside. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's uh whew, Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Next we have Francis Wheatman again. Nice. Oh, okay. This is her hot, hottest take of the year. Hottest take of the year. Okay. Right. I'll be the judge of that. Right. Hottest take of the year. This is probably my pick. Saying white people can't be subject to racism is a soft form of Holocaust denial. Ooh. Now, important thing to say here. She doesn't say white people can't be subject to racism is equivalent to. <laughs> she doesn't say it's analogous to. She says white people racism is a soft, is a soft form of Holocaust denial. <laughs> so presumably the harder one is what? Yeah. What? Yeah, that's a special one. <laughs> um, next, we have Esther McVeigh. Mm-hmm. When we talk again about white working class lads maybe being disengaged, what was the vote in Mansfield, in Ashfield? It was a very big Brexit vote. And I'm thinking to myself, are people thinking, why do I want to be engaged in a classroom if somebody doesn't think like me, doesn't vote like me, and you know what? They're now telling me what it is it and questioning my belief or my family's beliefs. So this is her trying to turn, um, trying to meld Brexit into a white working class religion. Yeah. In her way of um, trying to discipline left wing teaching unions. That's yeah. where we are right now. You know, <laughs> white working class lads are disengaged and have um, less, uh, l- less good 
educational outcomes because of Remainer teachers. Yeah, that sounds about Disrespecting right. their civic religion, which is they're all automatically Brexit voting conservatives. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's, it's, voting, it's another, it's, it's a voting conservative is genetic. Yeah. And cultural. How dare you go against my cultural beliefs? I'm a conservative. God, I fucking hate this country so much. Well, it's about to get worse. Dan Hodges, another take. Absolutely incomprehensible. The mayor of London has rolled over and accepted this. Utterly shameful. Jennifer Williams of hipster analysis fame tweeted, <laughs> accepted what? Dan Hodges says, a situation where his city died. <laughs> what? What? Okay. What? Like died? Well, like London actually died. Is yeah, this it they died. Shot the whole of London actually died. What? Like it properly doesn't exist anymore. No, you just couldn't go to Hamleys for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Uh, oh, this is a tasty one. Helen Hims. Thought about restrictions on pubs. Could it be the real reason the government is so reluctant to properly open up pubs again? It's because they know full well they are the hub of uncensored communication and often the first place resistance properly takes hold, <laughs> without a doubt. And also, if they want to force GM food on everyone, they'll have to have all pubs, restaurants under government control. <laughs> like the GM food at the end. Yeah, lads. That's where the resist. That's where the resistance starts. That's where the rebellion gets planned down the fucking Lord Palmerston. <laughs> so the thing is, when I don't want to have genetically modified food, that's when hmm. I go to the Weatherspoons. Yeah. Next we have Amol Rajan. Uh, so he ran a blog, a made-up prize that he named after Bernard Russell the uh, philosopher. Yeah. Bertrand Russell, sorry. That he named after Bertrand Russell, the British philosopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, like, apparently he didn't, like, get permission from the estate. It's not associated with Bertrand Russell at all. He just added a philosopher's name because he thought it would make his blog prizes sound important. Okay. You would never catch us doing that. <laughs> not with a philosopher's name. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Maybe someone who had won the, the like, uh, what was it called? The Golden Demon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um... So he awarded um, a J.K. Rowling essay on gender, some made-up prize uh, in this blog. Yeah. And he said, what the judges, that is the voices in my head, most admired about the writing was the plain English. It is an interesting fact about rhetoric that if you want people to understand something, plain monosyllabic words are usually your best bet. Shut up. (laughs) Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Or think of the final line from Enoch Powell's most notorious speech. All I know is that to see and to not to speak would be the great betrayal. I'm not endorsing the argument, but the rhetorical power of that line comes from the fact that there are 16 words, the first 15 of which have one syllable and the last of which has three. Compare it with this line in Rowling's essay. So I want trans women to be safe. At the same time, I do not want to make natal girls and women less safe. The rhetorical power from those two sentences derives partly from the plainness of the English. Only women twice and natal contain more than one syllable. If you're ever editing copy that seems verbose, go through it and think about cutting syllables while conveying the same meaning. Plain English has power. J.K. Rowling gets that. Incredible. I think he's going too far because I think 16 words is probably way too many and naturally you should just be limiting it to 14 words. (laughs) It's... it's this. I chose this because, like... He doesn't mention. He doesn't mention the content. No. He gave it a good essay prize. It's like, oh, well, 
incredibly well written. <laughs> Plus, manages to sneak in the fucking Orwell bullshit about um, uh, plain English being the best kind of writing. Mm. It's a nice kind of writing. It, sure, but I'm not going to get into that. Fuck it. No, I'm yeah. not falling into his argument. Like, he gets the Orwell <laughs> thing about plain writing. He also gets an Enoch Powell speech yeah. without having the racism yeah. in it. The very obvious, because it's from Rivers of Blood speech. Yeah. And then also manages to deal with Rowling's essay, which understandably received widespread <laughs> criticism for its transphobia and turfy stuff. Yeah. And still manages not to make it about make it about plain English and not about the content. Absolutely incredible. Mm. Incredible work there from Amor Rajan. <laughs> um, next we have Sam Bowman. Oh. This was on Pretty Patel offering British citizenship to people in trying to flee Hong Kong after oh, yeah. the national security law comes it's in. Like all the money. Yeah. Um, so he posted a map of the UK, mm-hmm. coloured in yellow, and the yellow was meant to represent, quote, where nobody lives. <laughs> the yellow areas are the empty parts of the UK. The government could set up a special administrative zone in one of these places where Hong Kong equivalent law ruled and where all Hong Kongers and Brits and more could move to freely. A new city and a new hope. Let's do it. The only reason the UK wouldn't set up a charter city for all Hong Kongers on some empty piece of land on the coast somewhere is that it seems weird and unprecedented. And there is no good argument against it. It does seem weird and unprecedented. It would turn the UK into a powerhouse. Right. It is obviously (laughs) ironic he wants to build a slum town and put all the Hong Kongers there and get is, rid of all employment laws. It is obviously ironic that Pretty Patel offered British citizenship and, you know, to a load of Hong Kong people while she's busy undermining it from everyone else. Obviously, this will eventually come with caveats, like it will yeah. be points-based and money-based and stuff like that. But Sam Bowman, this wide-eyed dolt, mm. who goes... Everyone will love it. <laughs> in a country tradition <laughs> that has just had a huge wave of anti-immigrant violence, everyone will love setting up an entire city full of Chinese people <laughs> on the coast. Coastal cities, I hear, are the most tolerant. <laughs> <laughs> and aside from anything, aside from anything, because obviously Hong Kong was a charter city originally, yeah. I mean, it would actually be really funny to do that. I think it would be really, really funny. Um there's always the Turn the Isle of Sheppey into Hong Kong 2.0. What I find incredibly funny is the implication that Hong Kong people are magic capitalist people who generate yeah. wealth out of nothing. Yep. Like it was part of the British Empire. It was on the eastern. It was on the eastern edge of Asia during a massive time of rebuilding economies after the First World War. In between China, south of Japan, on its way to um, Southeast Asia, where you know. There's a significant amount of American investment to kind of Mm -hmm. stem off communism and also, you know, huge war economies in Vietnam, Cambodia um, Mm -hmm. and places like that. Like and on its way, obviously, to African African countries and India and and places like that. Like it's 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 geographical. It's not just like magic capitalism powers (laughs) that people in Hong Kong had. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, next we have Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm willing to bet 90% of the protesters have seen Joker. <laughs> it's 
talking about like protests against the uh, against Biden becoming president. Okay. I'm willing to bet 90% of the protesters have seen Joker. It is so powerful and well made that it bounces around in your brain and burrows in, forming a dominant go-to pattern for your thinking. Could one movie nudge a young person into violence and anarchy? A bad movie can't. Even a good movie can't. But Joker can. That movie is next level persuasion wise. <laughs> Joker in Manchurian candidate in America. <laughs> Nice. So funny. I've seen that film. Like it's, it's like okay. It's literally ripping off Taxi Driver shot for shot, and is not as good. But it's all. It's like not terrible, but it's also not great. It's not mm. persuasive. Not even. Yeah. Anyway, it's a review. <laughs> George Caravan, an SNP politician with a very very spicy take. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about Scottish independence, he okay. puts up pictures of Nelson Mandela, oh. Gandhi behind bars, oh. Martin Luther King, oh. and tweets these words. People who did not ask for a referendum from their oppressors before they demanded freedom. Now, I am going to say there has been some underdevelopment of Scotland while it's been a member of the UK. Not necessarily going to compare that to apartheid. I'm sorry, it's not. No. No. No, but sometimes they don't like taking Scottish pound coins, Scottish um, money, like the notes and stuff, when they come south of the border. That's like apartheid. It's just like apartheid. Uh, we have Joanne Harris. A-level U-turn achieved. Good. Now let's make them reverse Brexit. Nice. <laughs> sure. Just, a, just, just do, do it. it. Fine. Just press the button, damn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, if Paul Kane, this is in a reply to something about Brexit, uh, saying uh, the UK can't rejoin, at least not, it won't be able to rejoin into the same EU. Mm-hmm. In 10, 20 years, the EU, if it exists, will be radically different. You can't step into the same river twice. Fair enough. The reply to this is the hot take. Ian Guthrie saying, why can't you step into the same river twice? Paul Kane replies, it's flowing. It's not the same river. You're not the same person or country. See Heraclitus. Ian Guthrie, I walk along the way, sir, at least twice a week. It's the same river. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) It's very funny. Uh, We have Will Beeman. Money is queer. Sorry. Public spending is generative of new social forms and abolishes old ones. Plugging your ears and whining about the value form is not an effective media practice and is not an effective way to stop us. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, Helen Lewis. Lewis. All I want for Christmas is for American writers to stop indulging lazy caricatures about British feminism being homogenous and insular to fluff their own audience's egos. Our demographics are different. Our priorities are different. Our laws are different. Britain is not just America with worse teeth and better cheese. This is from the author of When Discrimination Targets the Privileged. Meet the feminist aristocrats fighting for the right of our daughters to inherit peerages. And finally, we end where we started for some reason because (laughs) I found this and it was too good. Um, Effie Deans. She's a pro-UK Scottish blogger. Um, She tweeted, I travelled by car in the Highlands the other week. I got lost endlessly searching for Fort William amongst all the Angarastans. Um, A number of times I missed my turning. It made me wish the signs were in one language or the other, but not both. It's not the cost that worries me. The dual language signage makes driving in the Highlands dangerous. I went to the Highlands in September. Uh, there's one road back and forth from Fort William. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's pretty good. Yeah, the um, roadside, roadside stuff is so quaint. <laughs> it's 
so old fashioned <laughs> to complain just... about. Like, oh, it's the two names, it's confusing. There's Murpha <laughs> Tidfil and Murpha Tudfil. Ah! It's just the fact that you're on one road. Mm-hmm. There is there is nowhere to get lost. <laughs> I literally we, we we went on like a tour of the Highlands and mm. we had to turn back because there was like a, a a car crash on the only on the road, one road on the one road. <laughs> Ridiculous. That okay is all of your hottest takes. Okay. There are a lot. I've got it down to two. Okay. How the Union Jack. And the Stars and Stripes are neutral flags that everyone Ooh. loves to see. And yep. Hong Kong Thanet. Oh, Hong Kong Thanet, okay. I think mm. the Hong Kong Thanet one has it because, you know, people love it. <laughs> yeah, so there's an element of credulity there because he, I think, isn't Sam Bowman the guy who tried to make a thing out of his brand was he was going to he was gonna be the proud neoliberal? Yeah, yeah, and called us all hick- yeah? hickey from Marxists. Yeah, and it's like... Just everything about it is so stupid, but mm. it's an it's an it's an instinct that's wrong-headed because they could do that. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong itself was a, a charter city that turned into a massive city, mm-hmm. but like it's just the the wide-eyed enthusiasm he has <laughs> for it. Mm-hmm. It's like let's make Blade Runner city; it'll be cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. I think I think I personally I go for neutral flags. That is. Absolutely incredible. The only way you can think that the US and UK flags are in any way culturally neutral worldwide, and they specifically said worldwide, yeah. is if you know absolutely nothing and you are so screen damaged yeah. that you have no other input into your brain. You have never read anything. You've never seen a news report. You haven't followed anything that's happened in the last ever <laughs> No way. You are so... That's so hege- hegemonic. That's so ideology. Mm. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think and I know neutral it's flags. A, I, I personally would go for neutral flags, yeah. Yeah, that fits But honourable mention to Hong Kong Thanet, because that is... Yeah. Outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up we have the... A new category this mm-hmm. year, uh, the Mr. Burns. Your campaign has the momentum of a runaway freight train. Why are you so popular? Award for stenography. Fantastic. No, we won't stop using Simpsons references for no, it. No, Fuck off. Well, of course um, This is for... We are British and on the left, so it's going to be Simpsons, <laughs> Warhammer, and of a cer- or and wrestling. Of a, certain, cer- of a certain age. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's not discount that, are we <laughs> that old, age factor. Are we old enough to start saying a certain vintage yet? Oh, no. No, that's a horrible thing to say to someone. Um, this award is for playing to, for journalists who have played to the core, who just yep. read press statements out ad verbatim, or otherwise show baffling levels of benefit of the doubt for yeah. the government. Important this year more than other years, yeah. I would say. Okay, so we have uh, Toby Helm in The Observer mm-hmm. writing... Liberal, nuanced, cautious. Is this the real Boris Johnson? Labour's caricature of the new PM as pro-Trump and anti-interventionist has been surprisingly wide of the mark. This was published like in a month after the election. Jesus. (laughs) So you don't know anything yet. Yeah. No, you're turning him into the person you want him to be. So that's fine. Next we have... They're so wrong to say he's pro-Trump. (laughs) <laughs> how yeah. dare how could they have ever suggested that Boris Johnson liked Donald Trump 
because when it was opportune, he made jokes about it. <laughs> Next, we have Dan Hodges. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not sure why it's happening, but there's now a concerted and coordinated attempt to shift the narrative on the government's handling of the COVID crisis. I suspect it's because we're nearing the peak and there are some signs the strategy is working. This was in April. <laughs> Two things. Yeah, the peak, sure, mate. Yeah, definitely, definitely go into that. Also, I'm not sure why it's happening. I'm not sure why opposition <laughs> politicians would be trying to undermine the government's, like, political decisions. It's like, you fucking idiot. What do you think? I wonder what uh, delights Dan Hodges will have for us in year two of the pandemic. <laughs> I'm sure it will be just as right and correct as in year one. Alison Pearson... Mm-hmm. We need you, Boris. Your health is the health of the nation. The health of Boris Johnson is the health of the body politic, oh. and by extension, the health of the nation itself. Oh. What? Alison Pearson didn't feature last year at all, me? did she? I don't think, or she barely did. Like, because she's she like, might a, have done a couple of yeah, times. but she's had a blinder this year. She's really gone above and beyond. I mean that. She must have said, oh, personality cult around Corbyn at least yeah. once. Oh, God. And yeah. then writes that, you know? Yeah, and with where she is politically, she must have said it about um, Tony Blair. Hmm. Yeah, probably. I mean, she used to be more of a benefits claimants of scroungers kind of commentator. Brilliant. Um, like, just standard Telegraph commentator, but, yeah. Next, we have The Sun front page. Nation united on stricken PM. He stayed at work for you. Now pray at home for him. Oh, fuck. Oh, fucking hell. Get to my little Neil shrine. Kiss the icon to the czar. Yeah, I open up my little triptych of like, I'm trying to think what they have, like Boris the partier, Boris the, Boris the statesman, Boris the philanderer. <laughs> pray to all of them. Um, <laughs> this is a great one, actually, this next one. Peston in April. He's showing a coronavirus chart showing accelerating deaths. Mm-hmm. He just tweets, this is not supposed to be happening in the UK, according to ministers and their advisors. <laughs> <laughs> I just love him pointing, pointing a bad thing. Yeah. This is not supposed to be happening. Wait a minute. <laughs> bad thing. That's not supposed to be there. Just... Oh, Peston. Um, next, we have David Jamieson. Mm-hmm. Something interesting is going on here. Tory media actors and outriders are doing the rounds, slagging off Channel 4 News and praising the BBC. Obviously, the BBC is in fashion in Tory circles as a vital crisis asset. Unreliable media, quote, now in for the rough treatment instead. You fucking rude. Let me just dust off the old, like, crystal ball, the old Ouija board, and see if I can divine why a media (laughs) management-heavy Tory government might be favouring certain news outlets over others, and that that might not be consistent from week to week. Why (laughs) could that possibly be? I don't understand. It's very interesting, though. Something interesting is going on here. Oh, (laughs) idiot. The pretending to be incredulous thing for um, all these journalists is really galling, seeing as they all supposedly trained and are paid to do this. Like, well, if you pay the plumber the... to come round, like, you pay you pay a guy to come round to fix your boiler, and he's like, there's gas coming out of it. It's interesting. Don't know why. That has actually been a thing this year. That has been a definite mm. shift. They obviously always play the hard-nosed, uh, grizzled reporter thing yeah. whenever they're criticised. Oh, yeah, that's but when they compare the... themselves to um to people who died in, like, Moscow apartment bombings. 
Yeah, or, you know, died in a Maltese car bomb attack. Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing when you're, you know, you're just this. You're just this. It's baffling. I see. I'm now. I now. I think something really interesting, interesting. going on here. Um, Laura Koonsberg, um, She was discussing a cap on care costs, uh-huh. social care costs, that was considered before the outbreak. She said, "Is there finally a solution for social care in sight? Maybe important clues about what ministers were planning just before the virus hit." So. Laura Koonsberg is not only spinning current government policy, mm-hmm. but retroactively going back and shilling for stuff that never happened. Oh, they were going to do some good stuff before the virus hit. Yeah. And the way, the way as well, because she, she's got to have some cover, important clues. Yeah. I can't do it. They blacked out all the important stuff. They Okay, they wrote it in invisible ink, and I didn't have any lemon juice on me. <laughs> but apparently there was a solution. Also, oh, yeah, there's a solution. Oh, of course, they found it. The magic mm. words <laughs> that made social care not a, not a problem anymore. Not a massively <laughs> expensive problem. You, this is not good. This is not good anything. This mm-hmm. is just rubbish. Uh, Tim Montgomery. Okay, he maybe has an excuse for being a stenographer because, you know, he's conservative home guy. He's, mm-hmm. he's always been the conservative party's journalist. Yeah. But... Uh, average voter sees Matt Hancock as the guy who took the ball from one end of the pitch to the other and scored when every journalist said uh, said he couldn't. Those same journalists are now complaining the goal didn't cross the line in normal time, but in injury time in the 91st minute. Oh my God. Why is it he that whenever didn't... they talk about sport, they all sound like the Mitchell and Wet um, mm-hmm. cricket sketch, cricket film sketch with, you know, mm. I was in the Cricket World Cup, but I bowled a wide. <laughs> They all sound like like even like I don't know football. Maybe everything he said there was was correct, but it sounds like he it's not. Because <laughs> as soon as these people talk about it, it doesn't sound right. Well, okay, just, to, just I'm not going to go into it like briefly break it down. Uh, for a start, average voter sees Matt Hancock. How mm-hmm. do you know? Yeah, you genuinely don't know. You've well, no, the people who comment on okay. conservative home. Yeah. Um, those same journalists are now complaining the goal didn't cross the line in normal time, but in injury time. Well, no, because there wouldn't have been an injury time. It would have crossed the ball. If it crossed the ball in the 91st minute and the game had ended at 90 minutes, it wouldn't have counted. This was all about Matt Hancock setting up tests and then not reaching the target mm-hmm. he set for himself. It's like, yeah, okay. It doesn't mean any any more people die. Any more people die. Yeah. But he didn't do it. Like, you put as much stock in that as you want to, but he didn't do it stop yeah. lying and saying that he did because he didn't no one asked him to set it set the date no, no one asked him to play football <laughs> well people were dying of covid anyway um okay peston mm-hmm. peston in march michael gove said just now that the difficulty in increasing numbers of covid19 tests was due to a shortage of the relevant chemical reagents well i've just talked to the chemical industries association which represents the uk's very substantial chemicals industry it has contacted its members and they've said there is no shortage of the relevant reagents so the association has been in touch with michael goes office to find out what he means because it is stumped the association also points out there was an industry chat with a business minister today who made no attempt to find out if there was a supply problem for the vital ingredients of covid testing tech COVID testing kits. So this question of why there aren't enough tests for the virus is an even bigger mystery. Uh, also, if it turns out there is a shortage, these manufacturers are more than happy to increase their production, but they need to be asked, which has not happened. If so there's a gap, I'm rubbing my eyes. This is a podcast, <laughs> so I can't be as naturally dramatic as I would like to be. If there's a gap between what 
Michael Gove said, yeah, and the industry says, yeah, if the situation, if there was a deficiency where there was none, what could this thorny mystery mean? <laughs> and Peston, Robert, who would need to be asked about why Michael Gove said that? Who do they need to be asked by? Robert Peston of ITV <laughs> News. What could they possibly need to be asked? It's just an absolute stump. There's there that has to be that has to be like on purpose. Specifically, yeah. well, yeah. British journalists not saying conservative ministers are lying is like avoiding saying that. It has to be a thing. And it, oh, it yeah, has to stem bit. from that. Oh, you have to say more positive news. You have to say good news. You have yeah. to not be as suspicious of politicians. Mm-hmm. You know that, that I'm sorry. If you I call politician, I bet of... you. They, I bet you. They um, in some meeting that people have been told, you cannot call politicians liars. That's how Trump happens. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And it's obviously it's where fake news went, mm-hmm. tying in with our other award. Um, next we have uh, James Ball. Oh. Mm. Strongly suspects the biggest story to come out of the Russia reports imminent release will be surprised at how hard the government worked to delay something so innocuous. <laughs> You are literally a Russia guy. Yeah. James Ball, investigative journalist. Mr. You shouldn't publish um you shouldn't publish NHS data because if it came from an adver- adversary nation, whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. So therefore Jeremy Corbyn was wrong yep. to say about that report, which was true, that yep. they shouldn't publish it. Like why are you even here? Why why say that? You don't know whether it's innocuous. You don't you don't know. I'd it's say he's pop- a paid I... asset, but he is just doing it for free. He's doing it for free. He wants to be the better person. He wants to be the smartest guy in the room by mm-hmm. being the dumbest person on the planet <laughs> at all specific points. By just you contradicting... could say that about so many of them. <laughs> by just contradicting himself, by just contradicting like everything he said up till now, it doesn't matter. For this tweet, he has the his BDI, his critical eye on it. Mm. It's... Yeah, <laughs> we have another Laura Koonsberg. Um, Doesn't surprise me. Which is in response to uh, Pippa Carrera, um talking about how Dominic Cummings was being investigated by the police for breaking lockdown rules. Mm-hmm. This is thanks to uh, at client journalism expert on um, Twitter, mm-hmm. who did put up a list of um, uh, like like. Oh yeah, that, he's stenography. a great. Very good anything, this this award should be sponsored by Client Journalism Expert. I've taken most of it from my own stuff. I didn't steal it, but <laughs> I didn't um, steal it. You can't accuse me of stealing. I, you, you can't didn't prove see anything. Me. You can't prove anything. Come into my eyeballs and see. <laughs> yeah, I've got a receipt for all of these takes. <laughs> no, but yes, uh, thank thank you to Client Journalism Expert. Um, <laughs> She came up with this, replying to another journalist about mm-hmm. Dominic Cummings being investigated by the police. Source says his trip was within guidelines as Cummings went to stay with his parents so they could help with childcare while his wife, he and his wife were ill. They insist no breach of lockdown. <laughs> Why are you defending? Like, there's going to be a just, press release. Just clarify. There's going, there's going to be a press conference. Mm-hmm. This will be gone into. Why are you, the BBC's premier politics correspondent, leaping into other people's mentions... Other people's DMs to correct them. There's no need for that unless you're doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we have Nick Robinson. Mm-hmm. This is on Matt Hancock's uh, test stuff again. 
Having not just met, but easily surpassed his testing target, 122,000 tests were carried out yesterday, Matt Hancock says it will allow us to reassert our freedom as the lockdown will be able to be much more precise. Although we now know, like literally the reply under, although we now know that 27,000 of the tests were home kits sent out, but not necessarily completed. <laughs> Two hours later. So the promise of 100,000 people tested by the end of April has not been achieved. Brackets, although there has been a huge and widely welcomed increase in testing and speed. Oh. So it didn't do it. No. Everything you said was a lie. Now, you could say, oh, yeah, I didn't realise that it was... He had changed the way they measured the number of tests yeah. being done. But you don't... Look, that little bit there at the end, the promise... The pro, the, the, the testing t- uh, promise hasn't been achieved, although there has been a huge and widely welcomed increase in testing and speed. You don't need to put that in... No. ...unless you're trying to just zhuzh up and positive it all up. Yeah, if you're not trying to do that, you'd say... Yes. This is this is gross that they lied to us. You are a fucking court jester, mate. Actually, no, you're not a court jester because court jesters are the only ones who are allowed to be critical. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Times. Boris Just Johnson. The Times in general for the year. The Times. Yeah, I can't. I genuinely, if I haven't written where this is, somebody is doing this. But this might have been an editorial, which means it comes from the editor. Boris Johnson is seeking to rebuild bridges with the BBC by appointing as its new chairman a prominent <laughs> figure. From the right, oh, who does not oh. want to blow up the national broadcaster. The Prime Minister is drawing up a long list of possible leaders, understood to include the former Cabinet Ministers Nicky Morgan and Amber Rudd, and the television interviewer Andrew Neil. See, the best ah, thing about yes. that is I remember when they announced this, because they announced that as a way of, like, they, it's the way they do it, don't they? they? You know, they take, take yeah. this list and they put out the list to make it seem less bad when instead of putting Andrew Neil in charge, they just put in a guy who wanted to put adverts in CBBC. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like the idea as well that the BBC... It, it, it does keep up this um, lefty BBC narrative hmm. because it's acting as if the BBC is an independent, separate thing, independent from the people who work for it and decide <laughs> its policy. Yep. It's like if the people who decide its policy are conservatives and are roughly aligned to the government... It's a government organ. Mm-hmm. You don't rebuild bridges. You just bring it under the control of a particular political yeah. group, a polit- political tendency. That's not that's not rebuilding bridges. That's just making it the same land, mm. you know? Uh, next we have... <laughs> okay, this isn't one journalist. This is a, a, a an entry I'd like to call shameless opportunism. Harry Cole, mm-hmm. senior government source, goes further tonight. Keir Starmer is a shameless opportunist playing political games in the middle of a global pandemic. He says he wants a national lockdown, but he's refusing to back targeted restrictions in areas that need them most. Then we have Beth Rigby for Sky News. This just out from senior conservative source. Keir Starmer is a shameless opportunist playing political games in the middle of a global pandemic. He says he wants a national lockdown, but he's refusing to back targeted restrictions in areas that need them most. Tom Newton Dunn, now of Times Radio. Government responds to circuit break offer. Keir Starmer is a shameless opportunist playing political games in the middle of a global pandemic. He says he wants a national lockdown, but he's refusing to back target restrictions in areas that need them most. Tom Newton of, of um, Nazi kill list fame. He yes. got call him by his full name. <laughs> Where then, of course, um, I like to usually go to the BBC because I feel like they're, you know, the most impartial. Um, I mean, for instance, Laura Koonsberg uh, reported, <laughs> senior government resource uh, responds to Starmer Keir Starmer is a shameless opportunist playing political games in the middle of a global pandemic. He says he wants a national lockdown, but he's refusing to back target restrictions in areas that need them most. 
Ah, journalism. <laughs> so all of them would then, after each of them, after they put typed out that message, they then reaffirm that journalist hat with the little ticket in it. Um, oh, another one from Nick Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, on news that uh, a man called Dan Rosenfeld would be the new chief of staff at number 10. Mm-hmm. A red moves into number 10. Oh, Others are better qualified to comment on the professional or political qualities of the PM's new chief of staff. I simply observe that the last time I chatted to him was at the new camp with the old Trafford faithful. Fuck. Nick Robinson yeah. said, in public, <laughs> others are better qualified to comment on the professional or political <laughs> qualities of the PM's new chief of staff. I went to football with him. <laughs> now, okay, admittedly, it may be that maybe he is actually such close friends with him mm. that the BBC literally barred him from talking about him. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think. Nah. But, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Come on. Uh, okay. Uh, this We've actually covered this in another category already, but I've put it in here. Uh, Pestons, just asking questions. <laughs> the government has banned schools in England from teaching material from anti-capitalist groups. What would you ban next? <laughs> Rishi Sunak stated that the Tory party are going to have to balance the books. How best should we manage the heavy spending caused by the pandemic? Too much bashing, not enough substance. Boris Johnson just called Keir Starmer Captain Hindsight. Anyone got any better nicknames for the leader of the opposition? <laughs> You are literally just a... That's a spokesman. Yeah. That's not a spokesman. That's a blog. Yeah. That's a conservative blog. Not not even associated with the party at all. Yeah, just fishing for policy ideas. Uh, The Mail on Sunday on the June 28th on their front page had Boris does press-ups for Mail on Sunday as PM says he's fit fit as a butcher's dog and proves it and is helping with nappies and night feeds. He announces massive revival plan. Good. (laughs) I love to have a media. <laughs> uh, I love holding power to account. <laughs> you remember when Extinction Rebellion blocked uh, blocked the roads around mm. the Telegraph and the Sun- Mail on Sunday, and they all got really pissy yeah. about how it's impossible to run a country, a democracy, without this kind <laughs> of journalism. <laughs> yeah, it is. We wouldn't be able to know how many press ups he could do. Uh, I don't really have a lot of. There's no text for this, but the BBC mm-hmm. portraying Rishi Sunak as Superman. Oh, God, all those pictures. Do you remember that? All yeah. those pictures of him as Superman. Yeah. Could you imagine Gordon Brown being portrayed as Superman? Oh. Was he? Was there ever... Am I misremembering this? Do they always do these cutesy cartoon things? I don't think they do. Because, again, it's that thing where making news fun has yeah. mutated... Like, not be depressing in order to shore up ratings has mutated into never say anything bad. Yeah. You know, about the oh, Conservatives. God, it's, those Superman drawings are fucking horrifying. They're going to be horrifying when Rishi Sunak unveils austerity times 10 after the COVID, after the COVID's over. Mm. Mm. Um, we have um, Chris Mason, uh, BBC news editor or something, mm-hmm. politics editor. Uh, it was right after the EU deal was signed. <laughs> Whatever you think of the Prime Minister, and fewer indifferent, Today is a moment of triumph for Boris Johnson. When he became Prime Minister, he had no majority, no mandate to call his own, an angry country and an angry parliament. I mean, I think... Now, over 100,000 people are dead. (laughs) Everyone's locked indoors. God bless him. 
thank God he succeeded. <laughs> That's all I said, thank God he succeeded. <laughs> an angry country and an angry parliament. They're <laughs> still an angry country. Mm-hmm. I don't... Uh... Uh, oh, this is a better Chris Mason one. This mm-hmm. is back in August. In response to Ben and Jerry's UK account criticising Priti Patel about immigration. How dare Um He said... He tweets... Oof. Home office source, Pretty is working day and night to bring the, an end to these small boat crossings, which are facilitated by international criminal gangs and are of serious concern. If that means upsetting the social media team for a brand of overpriced junk food, then so be it. People are dying. <laughs> Chris, Pretty, home office source, whoever's involved in this. And it's just like, oh, four, look at that. They really yeah. kick back. It's just fucking gossip. Yeah. Court gossip. It's fucking Versailles. <laughs> Keep saying that too much. <laughs> <laughs> we have Tim Shipman. Mm-hmm. The main lesson so far politically is that Johnson's Brexit coalition is impervious to economic pain mm-hmm. and driven to a degree not understood by an economic commentators by sovereignty. It may just be that a guy who had won four major elections is better at politics than them. Four major elections. Okay. PM, obviously, general election. Yeah. Conservative election. And I think they mean t- London mayor twice. Hmm. That's what they mean. Brexit coalition is impervious to economic pain. Oof. We'll see, won't we? Yeah. Oh, we'll see. I'm not gleeful about it. No. I'm not gleeful. I'm not being Romanian saying, hey, this is what you voted for. Mm. It's just, that's so fucking stupid and so distanced. And so, it really is. Again, it's Versailles. It's decadent. Mm. Impervious to economic pain. Are you fucking kidding? Uh, okay, and finally, finally, we have Judith Woods mm. writing in The Times. Baby balm for the soul in these anxious times. His face said it all. The careworn expression of recent days had vanished. His crumpled features illuminated with such infectious joy it was impossible not to smile too. I'm going to throw up. (laughs) As Boris Johnson ascended the stairs of number 10 yesterday, it was with a spring in his step, the lightness of being. Here was a man transformed by the birth of his latest son. (laughs) And I said I added latest. (laughs) As word came that his fiancée, Carrie Simons, had given birth to a bouncing Brexit boy at a London hospital, it felt like balm for the soul in these anxious times. Love him or loathe him, our Prime Minister can be accused of many things, but we can all agree that news of a baby's arrival incontrovertibly adds to the gaiety of the nation, even in lockdown. Okay. Uh, now I need to go for a blood test. I have diabetes. Oh, God. Um, see, that's hard because... Oh, God, it's hard. I think, in general, hard. the coming of the star child healing us all. Um, or, yeah, I mean, although that the, is, the pray a, for him... An, <laughs> it's, the, like, the, the, it's the pray for him and health of the nation are fucking deranged. Yeah. Like, that is that is North... Like, this genuinely North Korea stuff. Yeah. You know that you wouldn't find that. That's new. You would people would be ridiculed for that in the past. Yes, you it know. Would be. I mean, my I guess 
like, like there's a lot of lying ones, obviously. Yeah. It's like you're not asking whether they're lying. Yeah. Um, and the um, Peston doing essentially like polling work to find policy for the Conservative government. I think the first, the Health of the Nation one and the Pray for Him ones, they're short, sharp jabs hmm. that are more extreme. The Judith Woods ones, having yeah. just read that again, that is standard, but there's so much of it. Yeah. You know, I, I actually had to go back and reread because I believe. Did Gordon Brown have a child? He did, because when they'd he had was their in, trouble in having office. a child. As yeah, they, they did, didn't they? But, I mean, I actually went back and looked at the Blair one, because obviously mm. Leo Blair was born mm. while he was in office. And also, Tony Blair is more of that kind of, like, charismatic yeah. state-of-the-nation leader. Yeah, They attributed more of that to him, because he was a more charismatic speaker, probably. Yeah. Um, and there was nothing like it. I mean, they reported it like they do every middle-class baby or upper-class baby in the Times. You know, they report the weight and the mother and baby are well and, and all of that mm. stuff. And then afterwards, obviously, there was the whole um, Sherry Blair, like, opening the, the door in her dressing mm. gown and stuff yeah. after they won the election. There was that kind of personality cult stuff. But that's, like, that's normal. I mean, it became normal new Labourite kind of stuff. This, this is reaching into trying to make a cult out of him. Yeah, uh, trying to to say, make like, a, the only thing I can think of being similar is like um, Trudeau, older Trudeau, the Trudeau daddy, who had yeah. Justin while in... I think he, I think Justin Trudeau was born while his dad was in charge of Canada. I can't imagine it was reported like this, though. No, that's the thing, because like, I, I no, can't imagine I can't like, any, any nobody, country nobody, other nobody, than... A really like, bad one to You can report it's really good news, but you cannot, cannot, cannot say that this is like, this is the only thing we should really be focusing on now. It's something that they've done. They've started to move Boris Johnson into the realm of the royals because mm-hmm. royals are the easy thing to write about. Universally popular, you never have to criticize them because they're not quote political figures, even, mm-hmm. even though they are. They're trying to move it into. They're trying to move them into that realm mm-hmm. because they've run out of royals to celebrate. Royals sell papers. Yeah, they've they've run out of all this. But there's nobody left to get married. There's yeah. nobody, or certainly nobody important. There's no. They've all had their kids. Yeah. I mean, the oldest kid of that generation is like what eight. So it's another ten years before they're going to be start to be. Yeah have kids of their own. So in the so meantime... you don't get that thing. So in the meantime, you focus on this guy. Maybe maybe it only does work with Boris, and maybe it only does work at this point, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I... Yeah. I it's think, a very difficult one. I think I think you, the star child. The star child. The okay. coming of the star so, child. So the, the baby bomb for yeah. the soul in these anxious times. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm going f- to yeah. roll into that, the fucking painting that kid... That kid did in inverted commas. Yeah, I'm so angry at that painting. I mean, just as a, the the amount of effort you put into it, it's this isn't just a um, pray for him. He's fit as a butcher's dog, mm. all that kind of stuff. Which is a photo op. He did a photo op, and yeah. then they wrote a load of copy. This came from nothing. Yeah, this came from a normal event that's happened before, but you've magnified it. I'm looking forward to the baby strangling snakes that come for him in his crib. So if you want to be my-